The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Well, we're back. Here we are once again, and we had to come back out of hibernation because it was a big, big day for spoilers. First one, of course, the one that sent Zach crying into a corner, and the second one that sent all of Browns Nation crying into their corners as well. And we're here to recap it all on the Selvius Godcast, TJ Zuppi and Zach Meisel. That's, of course, what people want us to talk about, right, Zach? I am in such a bad mood. Um, yeah. I... <laughs> you sound like it based on the <sighs> way that... Fuck Darren just... Ravel, man. <laughs> <laughs> I blocked Darren Ravel on Twitter. Um, I saw him arguing with fans. He spoiled... Jeopardy, which is the only through this Indian season. Um, James Holzhauer, my hero, a professional sports gambler who has mastered the art of the buzzer and knowing everything and wagering intelligently. And his run has come to an end. And Darren Ravel decided to spoil that at like 9 a.m. because, as he said, some market in Podunk, Alabama already aired the show, so he can tell everybody in the country that James, his record-setting performance had come to an end. So my plans, which a rare day off, no Indians game, I can sit on my couch at 7.30 p.m. and watch Jeopardy, and, and I've, I've really enjoyed following from afar. I've only been able to catch a handful of his episodes, but so excited to watch tonight and what do you know by 9 a.m i already know that he loses and i know how and what the hell why can't we keep anything well joe mccoy signing with the panthers was a secret for a while nobody knew that was coming i was told he was coming to cleveland it was a foregone conclusion and i i see my twitter machine today and he's not coming to cleveland shock oh i'm surprised and I don't know if I was more surprised about that or you were more surprised about finding out uh, what happened by not actually watching it. Are you, would you prefer, this kind of comes back to, and with the baseball draft, we're recording this on, what day is this, Monday? We're recording this Monday night. Baseball draft's going on. I bring that up because uh, not so much as important right now with baseball picks being announced. But with NFL and NBA, you see fans getting upset because they would just like to watch the show and find out on the television what actually happens, not have it broken on Twitter. Where do you stand on reporters actually doing their job as opposed to being part of the spectacle of the entertainment? I guess I would ask, why is it their job to spoil the picks like 30 seconds before they happen? Why is that a thing that anyone needs to be required to do like does that that doesn't get espn clicks that doesn't like I, i've never understood that i don't think this this goes back to what the definition of breaking news actually is because you think just any sort of news that you get out before it's going to be announced as breaking news and technically yes that's correct but isn't legitimately breaking news isn't that finding out something and reporting something that nobody 
once out in the open. Like it, reporting transactions, yes, they're important, and, and it makes off seasons fun to know kind of what's happening, and uh, it can be our job to sift through the bullshit and find the truth and try to report it faster than anybody else. We get caught up in that, but is reporting a transaction that is going to get reported even two hours later? Is that breaking news or is finding out like some big conspiracy is happening or somebody's breaking rules or breaking the law or something that is not supposed to be put out there? That's what I think of as breaking legitimate breaking news. And it's not to poo poo anybody else that is reporting on transactions. That's not what I'm saying. It's just a different it's a I put them in different categories, something that is going to be announced 30 seconds later and hurrying up and tweeting it out there, it doesn't seem, I, I don't know, it doesn't seem to have a, a great deal of merit. It, just wait the 30 seconds and we'll freaking find out just watching it on television with everybody else. Yep, I, I mean, it, it's, I think there are different levels to it. I think people use the term breaking way too liberally these days. Um, the one example I can think of is when I, like, like when you don't know when the news is going to be officially announced, I think that's when you should use breaking. But when like, you know, when the Indians are on the clock and there's 30 seconds left on, in their time table and you tweet out that they're drafting John Smith from Southwest Missouri state, like that's congratulations on your scoop, I guess. I, I don't know. Like, so I remember one example I can give. I, I remember when I, I learned I got a tip that Trevor Bauer had injured himself and was going to they were going to have to push him back in the yeah. mm-hmm. what series was that the ALCS a couple of years ago. And like I remember getting that tip and being like okay like it's kind of weird cuz like how did he injure himself like uh, you know if he's just being pushed back a day like yeah I mean this is news and it's timely and it's it's probably breaking news but I also know well if this is the case the Indians are probably going to announce this pretty soon anyway before we talked to the manager and so like I you know I, I was I was pursuing this but I wasn't thinking this was like a huge you know the big story something that we're going to remember years later and then I learned <laughs> out learned how he did it and I think it was like a mad stressful dash to my computer to write something because who the hell would think that a player in the playoffs would injure their finger playing with a drone so yeah, there are different degrees to this, and I think now, like, yeah, it's like if you put "breaking" in all caps, <laughs> my God, that news you're tweeting better be mighty interesting or something. The end no of one's Jeopardy run, where, where, what did he? I, I saw the tweet. He said, "Well, it aired uh, in at least four states." What is that? Eight percent of the country? Come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i love is, is that supposed to be in four. your favor like, and, I... <laughs> and then he was referring to at least four he was using that interchangeably with many states and i'm like nah, i, I don't think i don't think many states applies here this is ah uh. and, and also like 99.5 percent of the country sees this in like the 7 yeah. 7 30 time slot somewhere around there like just because someone's some guy who called off sick and work from work in Alabama saw Jeopardy doesn't mean that the rest of the nation needs to know There's what happens the, to this historic performance. You have to ask yourself any tip, any bit of news, anything you get essentially as a reporter, you have to ask yourself, what are the benefits 
And what are the risks that I take in reporting this? And you, you ask yourself that question because sometimes uh, maybe it's a flimsy tip that you get. And if you were to just run and spew it out there, and if it's not all that important and it ends up being false, well, you not only did you not do your job correctly, but you risked it over something that was stupid. So you, you always ask yourself, is it worth mm-hmm. if is me tweeting this or reporting this or writing this? Is it me putting this out there worth what I'm risking, what I'm weighing? And, and a lot of times the answer is no. If it's um, I'm trying to think of a, a scenario. I'll just make one up. Say it's Greg Allen coming back up for the 4,000th time and you get that bit of news. And unless you don't like you're 80% on it, it's like, okay, well, I don't care. (laughs) It's not that big of a deal. I'll just wait for the transaction to, to hit the wire because whether or not I report this, the world is not going to change and it's just ultimately not worth it for whatever reason. Yeah. Well, I mean, there are times when we see after a game, like, a player packing a duffel bag and maybe, like, I remember Neil Ramirez uh, a few weeks ago. Scott Atchison came and and said something to him after the game, which is not common at his locker. And uh, a little bit later, Neil Ramirez went and left the clubhouse. And, like, I can now surmise that he went to meet with, with Tito and Carl Willis and maybe a front office member and, that was the night he got DFA'd and like, yeah, I probably could have tweeted something saying like, we can probably expect Neil Ramirez to be DFA'd tomorrow morning. Um, but you know, what is it? What's it worth? Like maybe they have that conversation and they tell him, Hey, you need to pitch better or you're going to get DFA'd soon. Or they say, Hey, like we're planning on DFAing you, but stick around here. Cause you never know what could happen overnight or in the morning or something. And then like something happens the next yeah. day where another pitcher tweaks something mm-hmm. and Neil Ramirez sticks around. And then I look like an idiot. So yeah, there it, it's, we all need to be better. We've all made mistakes. And, and I think we all need to use that method of take a step back, make sure it's no. worth it. But people like Darren Ravel don't care. And they're all about just, just eyeballs on their, content and that's <laughs> well, why he is now blocked on my timeline uh because you know anytime he needs some indians news he's not going to get it from you uh that's probably why he hasn't tweeted about random jersey sightings at the ballpark because it's even though it's happening because he's blocked from your feed but as you said he doesn't care because him just getting people bitching at him is probably rates among his mentions and interactions and then he can take that to somebody and say look i'm worth more money because look at all the interactions i drive so that's the state of the job that he does so i guess he did exactly what he's supposed to do what he's paid to do which is piss everybody off uh you notice we've spent like 10 minutes talking uh on this podcast and not once have we mentioned the shitty nature of the indians in their play recently it's probably a reason for that yeah sorry <laughs> to everybody who hasn't who tuned in hoping to hear Indians talk. We'll get to it now. Can I say one thing? You know, so I have, I got a new car and the new car comes with a Mm -hmm. three month trial of XM radio, which is phenomenal because I have music ADD and I'm always searching for a better song and uh, high standards. Like it's got to be one of my favorite songs of all time or something I haven't heard in a long time or I just can't listen to it. And also I have just gotten so sick of sports talk radio. Um, and we'll probably get more sick of it as the season goes on. But 
I originally was going to tell you you should open our podcast with because we did the the I'm back. What is the theme? The Eric Bischoff theme last last week. And I was going to say you should do Without Me by Eminem, where he says, guess who's back, back again, because we're making another, you know, it's been a little while. <laughs> but then two songs came on the radio today that I had to remember. The first, of course, one of our favorites, Creed, My Sacrifice. And I thought, you know, that might be more uh, appropriate because this huh. team is obsessed with sacrifice bunting. And, uh, you know, I thought that might work. Um, I can't remember the second well, one now. Crap. Oh, and the second one was... Uh, it was a Sugar Ray song. Why was it a Sugar uh, Ray song? <laughs> oh, When It's Over. When It's Over by Sugar Ray. Yeah, so I thought those two were no, that sadly seems, that appropriate. Seems pretty on the nose. Thank you for making me a little more angry, though. I uh, appreciate that. Uh, not quite probably to the Ravel level like you've experienced this morning, but to the point where I remember that my car is still in the shop has been for what now a month. <laughs> I mean, when did I get into that car accident? It had to be over three weeks ago. My car is still in the shop. I bring it up because you said Sirius XM, you get the three month trial where it's free. Uh, in the past we've had, we just kept the Sirius XM, but I listen mostly to podcasts. Now I, when I did listen to Sirius, it was essentially one station. I would listen to MLB Network Radio, and that was it. It just wasn't worth it for me, so I had dumped it and didn't have it. Well, I got this new lease uh, just b- before I went out to, uh, to Arizona for spring training, and so I was still within my three-month period. Well, guess what? My car has been in the shop, and so for a month, essentially, of this free period, I didn't get Sirius XM because it's just sat at the shop where I can't drive it. And I'm driving the rental car, which doesn't have Sirius XM. So I missed out on a full month worth of Sirius XM that was owed to me because it comes with your new lease. And I don't get it. I mean, that doesn't seem fair. It may be a first world problem, but damn it, it's my problem. Well, you missed Mark McGrath had a two-hour playlist recently all songs by artists from minnesota so that's yeah that's what you're because, missing out that's on what 90s Indians on fans want to hear about people um, from minnesota doing well great job great job dude boom segue um, didn't imagine sitting here today with the indians out double digits didn't expect the twins to be the best team in baseball and certainly didn't expect to read your article today about how the indians should be sellers but that was on the table it was one of the options that you presented so how legitimate is that? I mean, in your mind, take us through where you're at with the I – mean, I know the trade deadline is still essentially two months away, uh, a little under two months away. But, I mean, you have to start thinking about it now with where they're at in the standings. Yeah, there's a few things at play here. One is there's no more August waiver deadline, so – I think you're going to see teams start the trade market process a little earlier than normal um, because you July 31st is your deadline. Like you better get the guy you want by then. There's not going to be that Jay Bruce August trade waiting for you. So I think things will develop a little earlier, which is part of the reason I, I posted the article today. I also think the Indians are in a weird spot. Like 
I mean, it's it's eleven and a half games there behind Minnesota, but it's it's not just that because yeah, they've got sixteen games left against the Twins. They're gonna get Clevenger back soon. They'll get Kluber back later. You know, they cut bait with Hanley and Cargo. Maybe other guys are are gonna be out of here soon, and so maybe the lineup improves a little bit. Um, but you know, even if there's just been no evidence that they can consistently do anything. They can't consistently pitch. They can't consistently hit. Um, so, it, it, and and if you're if you want them to buy, just because they're two games out in the wild card race, well, okay, there's like six teams that can say that, and you don't move all your chips to the center of the table just to have a chance at a one game playoff, like. So I really think the answer here is not 2019. I think you have to, you know, it's all going to depend on what the front office thinks of their chances to contend next season, because you have to start from the most important decision and work your way backwards. And the most important decision is what do you do with your shortstop who, you know, is not going to be in Cleveland beyond 2021. And I think, you know, if you think you can contend next season, you keep Lindor this winter. If you think it might be tough and you're looking more toward 2021 and 2022, then I think you got to trade him this winter. I don't think he's going to be moved during the season. Um, I think you can still get a ton for him for two years instead of two and a half. So you work your way backwards and you say, okay, if we're going to keep Lindor, then maybe we, and I think they believe they can contend in 2020. You know, the pitching is fine. You've got Kluber under control. You've got Clevenger and Bieber and Carrasco, Plesak, Jeffrey, Plutko, Cody Anderson. I mean, there's there's plenty of pitching. They've got a bunch of relievers who, uh, like Karinchek, Sandlin, kid Kyle Nelson, like these, they've got like four or five guys whose numbers are just ridiculous at double A AA or triple A. Like the pitching is fine. It's all about hitting. And so I think... I think their move is to trade Bauer, flip him for a young major league ready position player or two. I don't know if they'll trade Brad Hand, but I would at least listen on him for the same reason. Maybe you can get a young pa- a package of young players that can help fill out your lineup because there aren't answers in double A AA and triple A. I mean, Bobby Bradley might be able to help you. That's great. But like Carlos Santana is probably not here beyond next year anyway. So get Bobby Bradley up here, Daniel Johnson eventually, but that's that's it. Like Yu Chang, maybe there there's no. You need outside help to make this lineup formidable um, to go along with the pitching staff if you're going to contend next year. So I think they've got to cash in on some of the trade assets they have, and to do that, you're probably going to have to bail on the division race, and like you might be able to hang around in the wild card race just because. That's how those things usually work anyway. Um, but I, I think that has to be the vision here. And I, you know, trying to read the tea leaves, it's, it's hard because I think the front office is having these conversations every day as we speak now anyway. And I don't think they've necessarily decided upon a, you know, a finalized path to pursue. But I think this well, is I the most sensible one. What do you think? If, if you're trying to do this, in a smart way, you're, you're thinking about it like you are, where it's very formulaic, work your way backwards. It's very easy to get caught up in another way and think of, well, we have all these assets. You know, what, what can we do with them? Uh, you know, does Brad Hand 
uh, immediately entice somebody? And the answer is probably yes, based on the way that he's pitched. I know it's unconventional based on his past few years, but he's still getting results um, and still looks pretty spectacular. Uh, you, you mentioned Bauer. It certainly would be a guy that somebody would pay something for. It probably isn't going to be what you expected when you were shopping him in the offseason, but I keep looking at what the Rays got for Chris Archer, and I'm thinking, man, where is that package? Where can you get <laughs> – what the Rays got back from Pittsburgh in that just stupid, stupid, stupid trade for the Pirates. Um, <clears throat> I don't know that those things exist, but I'm, I'm exploring them. It, it, it puts them in a weird spot, though, because I do think they can contend beyond this year. I don't think the window shuts unless you want it to shut. Um, based on a few moves and a few guys in the minor leagues you know, actually contributing something, I don't think they're anywhere close to being done where the window is shut completely. So you do have to ask yourself is, is a guy like Brad hand, a guy that can contribute to, to your future, the near future, probably yes. But what's the, you know, what, what are you getting back in that potential trade? And what does he, what does having a guy that is a steadying force in the ninth inning actually worth to you if you're in this weird transitional state? Uh, And can you, can you invent – they haven't had a lot of luck with uh, pure lights-out dominant guys. They have kind of stumbled into some guys that have gotten some, some, some decent work for them out of the bullpen this year. But can you just create another closer like seemingly a lot of teams can? Um, and can you move hand now to kind of capitalize on his value? I, I, I don't know. I, I don't think it's an easy question. What I keep coming back to right now, because you don't have to make that determination right now, thankfully – is I look at this roster and I ask myself, why, why am I, if, if there's anywhere where a young player can play and can be potentially blocked by a veteran, why is that happening? If you're where you're at right now, as you record this a game under 500 and just kind of hanging around the second wild card because that's just the, the landscape of baseball, typically how this works. It's not as a reward to you playing well. It's just the landscape of everybody else. If if there's a young player to find out if he's worth anything, if he's a guy that can be part of your future, and I I mentioned Greg Allen, but he's kind of one one of them that sticks out immediately. I need to see that guy play, and I need to see see him play a lot. And if that means Leonis Martinez got to find a spot on the bench, so be it. I don't think there's any reward to playing. And this is coming from someone that uh, that said before the season I thought Martin was going to be a pleasant surprise offensively. Well, that hasn't been the case outside of a few home runs earlier this year. I want to see Greg Allen play. I want to see Oscar Mercado play. I, I want to see – we, we talked about this before the season. Tyler Naquin, this was kind of his last chance to show that he's worth something, worth keeping around, worth any part of the future. And he's, he's occasionally shown us a little something, but then he got hurt. It seems like every time in his career he starts to get on a little bit of a roll, he gets hurt. And that's unfortunate. But I need to see if he's part of – of the future. And I, I, and I'm looking at guys in the minor leagues. I mean, you mentioned Bobby Bradley Uh, in the past. I would say, ah, this is, this is not somebody I want to call up and kind of position as the savior. And I still don't feel that way, but this is a different situation. They've been the past few years. And I'm interested to see if uh, some of the strides that he's taken this year at AAA is actually worth anything. So I keep coming back to any veterans I see in the lineup and ask myself why they're playing and why I'm not seeing and maybe this is – we're starting to see this trend a little bit. I know Tito's talked about 
the need to see some younger players more consistently. I agree with that. You need to see guys that are part potentially of your future because I need to know if they are worth keeping around. And by the end of this year, I need to know absolutely whether or not, and maybe even beforehand, if I plan on competing in 2020 and beyond. And if the answer based on what I'm seeing from my young players is no, then I'm going to have to make some, some changes and maybe some uncomfortable changes. But the only way I'm going to know that is by actually giving these guys some rope. And I liked what I've seen from Mercado. Greg Allen's hit the ball hard, at least a little bit harder here recently and looks a little bit better than his early stint in the big leagues. But that's what I keep coming back to. Veterans, you need to phase out the playing time the longer this continues. And I need to see some of the young kids. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to work in it's hard to have a window that extends more than a few years. And a lot of that is because it's difficult to work in young players and let them develop on the fly when you're also trying to win. And so I think the harsh reality for a lot of teams is sometimes you have to take that step back and you have to retool a little bit and you have to let these kids develop and go through their growing pains. And the Indians have, I mean, it's, it's clear like Tito is, you know, he's sounded so different this year than in past years. Sometimes he almost sounds defeated. Other times it's just like almost not, not that winning is secondary because he's quick to clarify if he even hints that. But like he said, look, the goal is still to win, but we have to let these guys go through growing pains. And it's it's hard to do that while also thinking you're a World Series yeah. contender. And and so, you know, they're sitting here a game under 500. It's like there's no better well, time like, than Here's now, the thing. Make this year worth something. Make it worth something. Right. And if it's not going to be worth anything is in regards to uh, winning the division like everyone thought that they would, well, then make it worth something in some other way. Don't make this a wasted year. So many ways last year felt like a wasted year. Uh, it just felt mm-hmm. like sand coming out of the hourglass and nothing really being accomplished. Don't make this year – feel like that at the end of it i mean right now it it feels like that because the expectations were high but you can change that based on maybe finding some, you, you mentioned all the the young guys in the bullpen maybe one or two of those guys comes up and looks just like a lights out stud like they've been in the minor leagues well now your bullpen feels a little bit more sturdy maybe you can trade a brad hand at the deadline maybe you can feel better about mm-hmm. that moving forward and, and capitalizing on that bringing back, trying to bring back a position player uh, or two or, or multiple young pieces. Um, I, I, you have to make, no, no matter what the, the standings say, this, the year has to count for something. And right now, right now it well, still uh, hasn't, but that can change either based on them improving and playing better or actually finding out some, some needing, needed answers about their future. Yeah, and from what I've gathered, I think that's why they called up Plesak they know what they have in Adam Plucko. There's, there's no finding out anything there. They want to see this kid. I, I think, I really think that part of the reason is because they may trade Trevor Bauer and they want to make sure this rotation can, can float and that it's not going to sink if they deal him away. So uh, the early returns on that are good. And yeah, like you said, I mean, if, if James Karinchek, who I believe is like throwing bullpens now and ramping back up, to get back out there to uh, add to his just ridiculous stat line. You know, give him a couple more appearances in Columbus to, to get healthy and knock the rust off. Get him up here and, and throw yeah. him into the fire and, and let him sink or swim. And then, you know, if he if he excels and he's throwing 98 and he's not walking guys, 
then hey, they're throw him in the late innings next year, and and you should feel yeah. comfortable about with that. So, yeah, I, I think you're going to see a lot of September call ups. I think you're going to see a lot of like if Yu Chang was healthy and was performing at AAA, like I don't think Kipnis would be hitting second or I mean hitting fourth and playing second base. Like he might not be playing at all. So certainly shouldn't uh, be playing against lefties. That's I mean. Yeah, so so there you're right. There are things you can take away. I, I think a lot of people, judging on my mentions, and I think some media members too, just assume that the only two routes are go all in and trade your prospects and make a run at it or tear it down to the studs and come back in five years. And I think so many people fall into that trap and don't realize yeah. there's nuance to this and there's – there's a process, and it, it's not so simple, especially in a town like Cleveland where they, for better or worse, seem to rely so much on fan sentiment. Even though they gave a middle finger to the fan base <laughs> over the offseason, um, you know, they need fans in the seats. They need people watching and paying attention. They can't go through that sort of teardown where they trade Lindor two and a half years before he hits free agency, and they trade – Clevenger and Bauer and Carrasco and Kluber and just throw basically replacement players out there for four years and say, come back in 2024 when we have the best farm system in, in the, in the league. And we can, you know, throw these 23 year olds out there and maybe build a good team again. Like they can't do that. I don't think they're going to do that. And because of that, you know, all the people saying fire sale, tear down, strip it down. Like I don't, that, that's not, the only option here and it also wouldn't make sense really to you know you're not going to trade Tristan McKenzie for a couple months of Anthony can maybe close an 11 and a half game gap in the division like you're not going to do that so I think people need to realize that they're probably going to play both sides of this and you know maybe they trade Bauer maybe they trade Brad Hand but maybe they also go and swing a trade for a 20 Kind of like I mean that's what the Rays did three last years year. Of control left like something like that. So I can't bring that back up, but Tommy yeah, Pham looks freaking fantastic. Um, it's a guy that we said multiple times would have fit very nicely within the Indians lineup, but I mean they were thinking about how do we go out and get guys that can help us in the near future? How can we best position ourselves for multiple years? And they were able to accomplish it. Now you come back this year and they look real. Really good. Um, you know, unfortunately, they play in a really tough division, and maybe they are stuck in that wild card game. Uh, would be a tough team to face in a wild card game, but they're they were able to do essentially what the Indians would probably need to do if this continues, and that's the only positive you can take away from them blowing series against shitty teams is that it allows you to have a more firm stance in and not have to wonder as much about, well, we're close enough that we could just hang on. The worst thing you could do, I hate it, is just stand pat and not do anything and not feel like you're accomplishing. I mean, you're just spinning your wheels at that point. I want to be, I want to be moving in one direction or the other, and that's going to be based on their play. Yeah. And if that means it's going to happen through a lots, of, lots of losses or sure. lots of wins, fine. But either way, that's a benefit to me if I'm looking at how I'm going to build this team for the future. Right, and I, I've seen people say like, "Oh, well, they were <laughs> had a similar record last year, and in 2016, it's like that." First of all, it's 
it's never been about the record. I mean, it's, it's everything is relative to your competition. And the last few years, they've had little competition in the division, and they've had major competition in the form of Houston and New York and Boston. Like, they don't stack up against. Have you, if you've watched this team, like on any day except when they played in Seattle, like they have not looked like a team that could take any of those teams or Minnesota or half the teams in the American League in a playoff series. And there's been zero evidence to suggest that this lineup is going to miraculously start scoring five and a half runs a game or that the Jeffrey Rodriguez and Plesak are going to be cornerstones in 2019. Like there's no evidence that suggests that this is a really good team. That is a legitimate world series threat and adding Nicholas Castellanos or Adam Eaton is not going to push the team over the edge and turn everything around. And so, yeah, are the Twins going to cool off at some point? Probably. But we've been saying that for six weeks and they haven't. And are the Indians, like, should they get a little bit better as the season moves along? Yeah, sure. But that doesn't mean that you're just going to, like, even if you make it a race in the Central, like, do you still really believe that this team, this team that got swept by Houston last season in the playoffs, when they barely looked like they belonged on the same field for a lot of that series, this team that lost in the first round the year before that, when they were a juggernaut, do you think that this team is actually going to compete and can do damage? Because that's not worth throwing away contending in 2020 and 2021 and 2022 no. just to try to salvage something on the field this year. You're better off just using this to your advantage yeah. to be in a better position in the future. And I know that sucks. And I know fans waited through some really, really ugly years, Manny Acta and the end of the wedge era, and even a couple ugly years with Tito, 2014 and 2015, to, to get to this era where it's been like October is, is guaranteed, and to get that taste of having really good teams and, and coming so close and to not cash in and then have to take a step back. I know that's just such a kick to the groin, and it's really tough to go through. Um, but you have to look at this realistically and you can't just, especially you have to understand where the front office is coming from too, knowing the limitations that they're given by ownership. Like they can't just say screw 2020 and beyond even like we can be the Orioles for the next decade. We got to go for it now. That's just not wise. I'll disagree with one thing. In the first I don't think fans June. have to be rational about it. I think they can be pissed off. I think they can, I think, no, no, no. I, I agree. I just, I, no, I'm saying it's, it's tough for them. I, I just, I hope they understand why it makes more sense to retool this year. And I, I'm, I'm talking more to the fans who are like, oh, everything will be okay. Yeah. Just make a couple deals and they'll be fine. Well, I mean, it's like, it, I don't think it's so simple. But if you, if you still, as a fan, if you want to be illogical about it, fine, do whatever, be fucking pissed. I mean, do whatever you got to do to get through the summer. Uh, but from a, an Indians team perspective, they also have to do what is best for them long term. And that might mean pissing some people off in the short term. But, I mean, you're already here and you're already pissing people off. So do stuff that's actually, hey, do something. Actually do something that is going to make yourself better and fans l- less pissed at you in the future because they were actually smart moves that were tough to pull off in the in the present time but made you better in the long term. I mean. Hand, yes. Bauer, yes. Maybe Carlos Santana? Could you find somebody that's interested in him having one of the best years of his career? Sure. And if you do, I certainly hope you entertain it. 
uh, even if it means you have to pay some of the salary, uh, because it's he's not going to be. I'm you, you said probably next year would be the, the last year where he's going to be making any sort of impact. If you're getting back of something of value that is going to make you better for more than just next year, you so, you better be entertaining all of those things. And I need to also find out about all the the young outfielders that are kind of teetering in fourth outfield for a maybe starter territory. I, I need to find out about them. I want to, I, I want to see Daniel Johnson by the end of this year. If this season continues to go to shit. I mean, I, I, I want to find out as much as I can about these young guys. And I think you made a good point too, about throwing guys into the fire. Shane Bieber played a huge role for this team last year, no doubt. Uh, and showed a lot, but also had some, some giant hiccups of his own uh, and was better for it this year or has been better for it this year, I think. So why not get some of those out of the way now in a down year with some guys that might be able to come back and help me make the playoffs next year. I think there's, there are benefits that you can create if you're willing to take that step and we'll see if they are, they've said that it's about time to turn things over to, to some of the younger kids and see what they got, but let's see if they follow through on that. I think they should. Because that's the only way you're going to salvage this year if you're not actually winning. Feels a little bit like 2015 to me. I don't know if you'd agree with that, but um, remember 2015. Sure and Bourne, they traded David Murphy. They traded like Marcus Upchinski, Brandon Moss. They just got rid of every veteran at the trade deadline and did the same thing. Let's let the young guys play. And there was a little infielder named Jose Ramirez who just stunk up the joint at the beginning of the season in 2015, went back to AAA um, to make room for Frankie Lindor and then came back up after those trades and was much better in the second half. And there's no doubt that that helped him give him some confidence going into 2016. And we all know that's the year he blossomed. He filled in for Michael Brantley. He replaced Juan Uribe at third base and was sensational. I mean, ended up hitting third for a team that, uh, made the world series so it's yeah there are benefits that you can reap from this i i can hear terry francona going saying over and over again we look for any opportunity to turn a negative into a positive i'm sure if they go this route we'll hear that a hundred times that that quote late in the season um there are things you can do to set yourself up better to compete next year and i think you have to believe that you're probably better suited to knowing what we know now in the first week of June, you're probably better suited to contend in 2020 than you are in 2019. You want to do a random Indian? I don't have one. You got one. I figured you have one just in the back of your head somewhere. So I do this person I was told is coming to progressive field this weekend is the alumni ambassador. Oh, wow. I don't have his stats in front of me, but I can give you one, one thing. He was on the mound when B.J. Surhoff hit a long drive to center field that Kenny Lofton made the greatest wow. play I've ever seen on scaling the wall. Do you know who was on the mound? Maybe, but we'll find out after this. Okay, I'm ready, dude. It's time for the random meeting of the day. Let's do it. All right, so this pitcher will be visiting Progressive Field this weekend as part of the Indians Alumni Ambassador Program. And... He was on the mound on a summer afternoon in 1996 when B.J. Surhoff hit a long drive to center field and Kenny Lofton scaled the fence 
brought back a potential home run in the greatest defensive play I've ever seen. They made a bobblehead out of it. But do you remember who was on the mound? Oh, boy. Do you have the date on that Sir Hoff home run? Or around when? I want to say it was... It was either late July or early August. Oh, you know what? I think it was August 4th. Because I remember a couple years ago, I did an Mm -hmm. oral history of that play. And it was the 20-year anniversary. And then the very next day, August 5th, was the 15-year anniversary of the comeback against the Mariners. So I think it was August 4th, 1996. And the Indians were ahead 3-2, to two, I believe. And so it was saving the game until the Indians then poured on 11 <laughs> runs in the bottom of the inning. Making it not even worth anything. Um, yeah. I don't know, 90, 90. So that gives you a clue. It was a relief pitcher. I mean, 96, they ran through a lot of options, especially by the time they got to August. Um, Kent Merker. No. First one from 96. Sirhoff was a lefty, so I, I see your logic there. Lefty on it the was lefty. a right-handed pitcher? It was a right-handed right. pitcher. Uh, let's see, 96. Yeah. Righty reliever. Paul Shuey? Yeah. Wow. Was not expecting that to be that quick because I didn't think Shuey Ooh. was uh, that random considering he was a first-round pick for the Indians. Well, that was his first full season. I know he bounced up and down with the club in 94 and 95. Dennis Maniloff, longtime Plain Dealer sports writer, referred to him as, I think, ooey, gooey, <laughs> chocolate chip shooey or something, uh, something like that. Ooey, gooey, shooey, something along those lines. That nickname surprised me. I can't believe it. It's not on his baseball stand. reference page. Shocked. Uh, although he did, you know, he had one. Right? Only one has ever caught on? Only one nickname? What? Dennis Maniloff nickname has ever caught on? Oh, Although Dr. somehow Smooth. Jordan Bastion gets credit for that. I mean, that is his shtick, just stealing people's stuff and claiming that it's his own material. And I'm not talking about his writing, by the way. I'm actually talking about jokes. Notorious for stealing people's jokes and repeating them and then killing the entire room in laughter. Uh, just the that, worst. Uh, that makes sense. All right. And Shuey was. What was the 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 story? Shuey was taken in front of Jeter, or something. No, is that right? No. Uh maybe. I thought Shuey had a decent career. You take a. He had some injuries. Yeah, I think you take reliever first round. You're hoping for more than probably what he gave you. But that's also through the lens of biased first-round opinion. And there are... And you wouldn't say well, that to his not face. Here. So... And I'm not going to be there. I'm not going to be there. But so... he will be this weekend. So You, you should. I'm going to tell him you said that. <laughs> there are many people who ha- actually had good careers. And if not for where they probably got drafted, you would have thought they were pretty good. Uh, you know, like maybe someday Tyler Naquin will be in that category. He'll have a like. I think Naquin could be, based on what what we've seen uh, of his career so far. If he's not uh, an everyday player or even a platoon guy, I think he's a guy that could probably stick around as a quality National League pinch hitter. And you could make an entire career out of that. 
Um, but is a former first round pick probably think, Oh, he's going to be better than that. But if you remove that label and you just look at a guy who stuck around in the major leagues for a long time, I think you would say that was a successful career. So I guess that sometimes clouds our judgment. Anything else you want to spoil before we get out of here? Can't. I just can't (laughs) get over Jeopardy. Were you actually able to then, did you watch that the episode, or did you just say forget this? I did, and you know you could see, because I was saying all along, anyone who would listen, I would talk about this topic with. Because <laughs> I don't know, it was it, it, first of all, the guy has my dream life: professional sports gambler, extremely well off, got married in Hawaii. Like he's living the dream, right? And. He, like, he got the daily double clue on the very first clue of the game. That's the first, like, check mark on the list that you need to beat him because he then could only bet $1,000. And the woman who ended up winning got both of the daily doubles in round two, so you keep him away from being able to bet large amounts. That's a huge check mark on the list. And then she was ahead going into final jeopardy. So all she needed to do was get the question right and risk enough. And she did that. And it's, uh, it's just like, I, I don't know. It's hard to tune it. Like when the Indians won 22 games in a row, it makes it hard to get excited about like a nine game winning streak, you know? It's, so jeopardy is ruined for you forever. Cause, cause nothing will ever, be I think so. To top that. So anticlimax. If you had just watched it in real time and didn't know the results, what would you have thought of that ending? Well, there was one episode that I was able to watch a couple weeks ago where it was a close game, and he he pulled it out in the end. But I remember, like, I, I felt like I was a sports fan, and my team was in the championship round. And like won a closely contested game seven. Like my, my heart was beating out of my chest. I was stressed. I, was I remember excited. that. That's I what nervous. I felt like as I would watch those stupid kids go through Legends of the Hidden Temple. And they, you'd have to enter with two, yes. two pendants. If you didn't have two of those little life things, then you were screwed, man. Because those temple guards always jumped out. And they would get to the end. It'd be like 20 seconds left. You're yelling at your television. Turn around, you idiot. Turn around, go the other way. No, you got to put the monkey on top of it. And you would just yell at those. And then when they would find it, when you would actually see somebody win, it was like the greatest moment of my life. I think I hopped up and down, jumped all around the living room, screamed for days about how the blue barracudas or whoever actually won the damn thing. So I, I yeah. I, so Silver I, monkeys. I, I think I can, I, can, I can relate. I can relate. Orange Unfortunately, it all came crashing down, and I'm sorry for you. Yeah, that's it's. it's now, there are bad. worse ways to end things, you know that, right? There are always worse ways to to go out. I think it still ended up being all right. The only thing that would have been worse is if it was Darren <laughs> Ravel on Jeopardy and he upset James. That's true. Uh, and then spoiled <laughs> it himself. Uh, Asshole. Um, all right. Well, that'll do it for this week's episode. And. In the spirit of bad endings, I guess we'll just uh, we'll have to go like the Sopranos.